Hi, I'm Kara Infante, and this is Bookish Flights. In each episode, I chat with one bookish guest as we take some time to sample and savor the pairing recommendations from their bookish flight. We hope to give you suggestions to cultivate your TBR list and nurture your leisure time through books. In today's episode, I am speaking with Frank Ballinger. From our email exchanges before the show, I knew that we were going to be in for a treat. I have already learned so much from our emails that we have exchanged. If you listened to episode three, Frank is actually Amanda Vernon's dad, so there is a fun connection there. I am really excited to introduce Mr. Ballinger and his book flight on our show today. Welcome to the show, Frank. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about who you are? Uh, I am uh, on the backside of life compared to well, probably almost everybody else in your in your audience. Uh, but I'm one of those weird people that had a chance that as a kid, I had a dream. Uh, I went after it. I got it and I lived it. Uh, very lucky, very blessed to have done that. That's amazing. Uh My dad was a World War II uh, pilot, uh, had a lot of combat sorties, uh, didn't really want to talk about it like that entire generation. Yeah. But I had a fascination with the flying piece. Lived near a little neighborhood uh, airport and had a couple airline pilots living in a neighborhood. Okay. Well, I said, gee, I I think I want to go fly airplanes. (laughs) Well, snapshot, I got lucky enough to get into the Air Force Academy went to the Air Force Academy, graduated, went to pilot training, was selected to go fly fighters. I flew F-4 Phantoms. Okay. Uh, brand new, brand new F-4 Phantom, Phantoms right after the Vietnam War. Uh, went to live in Holland, uh, flew, did that, and then they decided to upgrade to the F-15 Eagle that you see today. Okay. Uh, so I'm one of the original F-15 pilots Wow. Uh, and did that. Lived all over the world, lived for, you know, of most of my time, I lived over a decade overseas somewhere. Yeah. Um, and so basically I'm, I'm blue inside, no matter what I do. Okay. <laughs> and uh, retired out of the Air Force after 20 years. And I taught high school math for two, three years uh, just to get away get away because the pressure get a break <laughs> well the pressure is pretty immense as you can imagine yeah um uh, i retired out of the pentagon and then um i got remarried and did not want to do this she lives here i live here deals yeah that's a tough life i said well okay <laughs> she was she was still in active duty the air force so I moved back up into the Washington, D.C. area okay. and got back into, I tried to teach up in Northern Virginia, but, you know, let's see, teacher salary in Northern Virginia cost. Yeah. So <laughs> Disparity there. <laughs> I managed to get back into um, the military game as a contract support civilian as the F-15 expert for the Air National Guard. Wow. Okay. I am still in that office. Wow. Almost 20 years later, which, which is crazy. <laughs> um, I 
uh, for about six years, I was their support contractor. And then they realized that I was signing almost everything. <laughs> I was writing almost everything. Yeah. So they made, made me a government civilian. Okay. And now I'm a, an associate director in the Air Guard for all of their modernizations of all their airplanes and establishing the requirements. Wow. This is like a dream job for my son. To me, in a nutshell, I've got three stupendous kids that thankfully uh, did much better than dad did. My <laughs> oldest son just made full colonel. He's on his way out to California to be the ops group commander for the airlift wing out there. Okay. My next daughter is a lieutenant colonel in the Air National Guard. She commands a maintenance squadron out in California. Wow. And my youngest daughter, who you know, yeah, um, <laughs> is just spectacular. She is very um, impressive. You know, she was on show three. All-American soccer player, which, you know, made all the travel soccer time for all your parents out there. Yeah, I, I got lucky there too. All yeah. that time and all that lack of having a life. Uh, she took it and ran with it. Um, spectacular person. Uh, mm -hmm. And she's living in Sicily with a really, really lucky, great son-in-law, Sam, who you probably also know. Yep. Um, Sam was also an Air Force veteran. He was a uh, avionics troop on the A-10. And now he's working on the, uh, pr in the private sector, but supporting the military mission. So God bless them. You know, they're living the dream. They just sent me pictures of skiing and Garmish, you know, yeah, I've got yep. 10 grandchildren. You're a lucky man. I'm a very, <laughs> very blessed and lucky man. Yeah, I will say, as I'm listening to you talk, though, I'm sure you put in a lot of hard work. So there was some luck, but I'm sure you worked real hard over those years, too. Anybody that's ever worked understands that my biggest challenge was some of the people I worked for, I probably would have worked myself to death for them. Okay. Uh, I got very, very lucky, and some of the people I worked for were, were un unbelievable people. And everybody laughs at me when I say I'm the dumbest guy in my office of 25, <laughs> but I keep it that way because I hire those people. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I have unbelievable kids that work for me. They're yeah. kids. They're, they're like your age. Okay. Uh, and they're experts. They're, they're impressive uh, Air Force and Air National Guard and domestic response, which is the other piece of the National Guard uh, experts. And it's just every day, yeah, I'm tired, but I've been challenged. In my yeah. day of work, I put a, I make a to-do list like all they tell you in management classes, mm -hmm. and I might as well just burn it by about 10 o'clock in the morning because that goes in, the whole plan blows apart, and I learn something every day. Yeah. And you can't ask for a better life than that. Yeah, it sounds like it'd be a very inspiring when you're working amongst, you know, your coworkers, oh, like you say. It is. That's wonderful. I'm right now working with two, I think, of the best strategic thinkers uh, in the whole Air Force writ large. Uh, and they are trying to change the direction of the Air Force. Uh, and I'm part of that, which is yeah. exciting. Yeah, that's a really great spot to be. Well, let's go ahead. If you don't mind, we'll switch gears a little bit. And why don't okay. you tell us a little bit about your reading life? Well, my reading life, um, <laughs> you know, when I, when I get home, the last thing I want to read is anything to do with what I've been reading all day. Mm -hmm. 
but what inspires me, uh, if you haven't noticed, is just people in general. We're all different, but we're all the same. Yeah. It's just, it's always been a curiosity. And one of the things that I do when I'm reading is I, I will read stuff that's very light, and very pithy like if i'm traveling mm -hmm. i'll grab those 15 cent garbage books in the <laughs> airport book store and i'll be able to plow through them yeah pretty much on the flight okay um, not retaining anything entertained by the whole thing and nobody cares but that's the point yeah you don't need to um, digest too much with those <laughs> right so but when i read the deep dive um i have kind of jumped into uh, biographies. Okay. Because no matter what you read, and I'm a historian by trade, mm -hmm. um, history is written by people. Yeah. And anecdotal history to me, the, the worst teaching techniques I ever saw, having been a teacher, I can say this, yeah. <laughs> um, is how I watched kids being taught history. It was just, it was just dates, names, pl places, events, that is what that I got. That doesn't do much for me either. Right. Yeah. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, look at the man in the street in interviews. You know, what happened on this day? People go, Duh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no retention. But if we were to look, everybody knows somebody. So if you look at the people that actually carved history and made history, what made them tick? Yeah. What, how, how did people come out of nowhere? And seemingly have nothing and make an impact on us today. Yeah. And uh, the three books that I picked out for you are three of those people, not any one of whom they're, they're not similar. They're not the same. What I've learned over the years in reading these people is these are quote unquote ordinary people like you, me, and everybody in your, uh, your audience. They're ordinary people are the ones that do extraordinary things. Yeah. And it's just interesting. Great ones recognize the moment, and the rest of us watch it go like this. And, you know what was that? You know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting, um, and that's why in these three books in particular, uh, recently there's been, as you know, uh, a, essentially a revision of the Civil War. We live inside the Wilderness Battlefield right here. In wow. Spotsylvania County, Virginia. So we're in the literal crossroads of the Civil War here. Yeah. So it just reeks history the second you drive out of the driveway. Um, and it's sobering. And it's it's sobering as you stand on these hills and you go, what would possess people to walk across that field knowing that they're going to be slaughtered? Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't understand that. Um, but my dad was one of those people. Uh, he had a formation of 16 that took off out of England and only three returned. Wow. Um, wow. I have the chills. It, well, yeah, you know, maybe you should have met him. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's interesting. Um, his, one of his tenants that he gave us in life was never be frozen in fear. Yeah. And I have found that to be a really valuable thing. And we have all hit that. Um, I guarantee you, right before your first kid, you were frozen in fear going, what did yeah. I do? Right? Yeah. So you know the feeling. We all know this feeling 
about, I am about to go into something and I don't have a clue. Uh, marriage is another one. You know, it's, <laughs> it's like, oh my God, what am I doing? You know, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he said, don't be frozen in fear because those that are frozen in fear don't live. Yeah. Uh, and that's also a common thing. So in, in this revision, uh, Ulysses Grant, because many of the historians right after the war were Southern, they were trying to tamp down the idea that it was a traitorous act. <laughs> Yeah. So they basically stomped on Ulysses Grant and build up Bobby Lee. Yeah. Although their war records speak for themselves. True. One won, the other didn't. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I don't go, you know, I know the histories, but uh, Robert Cheneau, who's a well-known Pulitzer Prize winning author, and this was a decade-long labor of his. Wow. The bibliography in this thing alone is like mind-boggling. Yeah. Um, but the, but it really peeled back the man and who he was. And much like some of the uh, military heroes that I have in the Air Force, uh, Benji Falloy comes to mind, if you ever read about General Falloy. Okay. He, he basically screwed up everything he touched for the first 35 <laughs> years of his life. Error, 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 stupid move, dumb move, you know, bankruptcy, okay. on and on and on and on and on. And that's what Grant was like. Tried insurance, failed. Tried to build a leather business, failed, you know. Yeah. Ended up being a soldier because I didn't know what else to do. Uh, how many people raised their right hand because... I'm out of options. Yeah, jump into battle here. <laughs> right, right. You know, I ask your husband, you know, how, we get good people because the, a guy walks into the recruiter and said, I don't know what I want to do with life. Okay, let us help you. you know, Absolutely. That's a big recruiting pitch, right? That's basically where he came from. Um, he went to West Point, but didn't do anything. It, by hook and by crook, got an appointment. Back then it was very political and, and he kind of sort of liked it but he fought the empire he fought the man you know as much of us do when we're that sure. age we're young and stupid <laughs> i feel that's where um but i very much related to him as i was, went to the academy i i did not i was not the guy that went in and said oh this is for me it was like who what have i done here um where hmm. am i <laughs> yeah this th- this part i didn't really understand uh, I'm sure your husband has a very similar story. Um, but it's one of those things where he hit his niche when he went off to the war in Mexico. Okay. And who did he fight with? Almost every Confederate general that he faced later. They wow. all fought together down in the uh, Amer- Mexican-American War. And together they did. They were on the and same. Together. Yeah. And together. And there was this one battle where... Uh, they, they, they had two different units. They were separated. The Mexicans were driving down the middle. And they needed somebody to go talk to the other unit. But they couldn't get there. So Grant, basically being dumb, <laughs> he, he gets on a horse, hides behind the horse itself in the saddle, and gallops across the open field. Wow. And the horse lived long enough for him to get there, and he passed the orders. Wow. Ordinary people, extraordinary things. Yeah. 
And there's, I just read recently a quote by Nelson Mandela, and it was talking about this, right? The people that do things are the ones that conquer over their fear, right? They step over it. And so exactly what you're saying. Despite it. Yeah. Um, I was talking one day to one of the guys that was probably one of the most undersung uh, fighter pilots in the Vietnam War. Um, He he talked about being in downtown Hanoi, bullets everywhere, people blowing up all over the place. And his wingman called up because he didn't know what else to do and he was scared to death. He goes, Lee, I'm being shot at. And T Mike, it just goes, Well, don't feel like the Lone Ranger. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) In the middle of utmost chaos. Oh my god. Grant comes, Grant comes back, still doesn't like the army, tries to get out of the army. Okay. Goes bankrupt. Then he goes, Well, crap. The only thing I'm really have ever done right is soldiering. So I'll go back to be a soldier. Okay. And meanwhile. He is a drinker. And everybody goes, oh, well, he was a drunk. Everybody was a drinker back then. You know, yeah. one of the things I have learned, especially when we go back into the revolution, guys, is they are people of their time. Now, I'm stealing that phrase, and I will admit that, from one of my wife's colleagues. My wife was lucky enough to work for uh, Dr. Condoleezza Rice. Okay. And not, I'm not name dropping, but when she was discussing American history and people are going, well, you know, you, you should be railing against because of the slavery issue and all this. And she goes, never, ever, ever forget. Anytime you read any history at any time, they are people of that time, not your time. Their context. Correct. Yeah. And, um, did Grant fight to get rid of slavery? He thought slavery was wrong, but that's not why he was fighting. Yeah. He was fighting because, well, I, I'm not good at anything else. Yeah. So I'm going back. <laughs> so because he was a West Point graduate and he knew everybody, he ended up getting command of the Western Front, which was not the big front. Okay. Because all the beautiful people and the generals from the Pentagon, which your husband will tell you, we all have a little disdain for Um <laughs> hasn't changed um he goes out to the western front and all of a sudden hits his stride yeah and sits there watching the battle unfold having been a foot soldier and and can see the fear in the men and he goes you have same thing you have to overcome this fear because you have to understand that what you give is for the greater good and you're going, wow, there's one for the ages, you know? Yeah. And as the whole biography goes on, obviously he he gets control of the Mississippi River, which became critical. Uh, Lincoln's watching him win after win after win while he's looking at all these golden generals and they're lose, lose, lose. Sure. And he asks around and they said, well, you know, one of the guys that fought with us in Mexico was Grant. And so when Lincoln talked to Grant to say, I want to give you command, he said, what is your objective? And he goes, unconditional surrender. (laughs) Which U.S. Grant, that became his nickname, was unconditional surrender Grant. And he gave the enemy 
zero quarter. He goes, this is war. This is, we're, not, we're not playing here. We're not negotiating here. I am here to destroy you. And if I would prefer that you surrender, if not, I will lay waste to you and everything around you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's what you want in a warrior having been in that seat um, and having looked at my first nuclear weapon that I was certified to drop. Yeah. And go and and getting that sober feeling down the back of my neck, going, I can lay waste to hundreds of thousands of people with this thing. Yeah. And I had a decision to make. Yeah. Um, because you can't, because once you sign that cert, you can't say no. Sure. If they say go, you go. Yeah. And oh, by the way, oh joy, it was a one-way ticket in the Cold War. Wow. You, know, you, a... you do all your mapping and your your planning, and you go. Holy crap, I'm not getting back. Yeah. And they said, well, over here, you know, there's a safe zone. What does that mean? <laughs> I nuke these people and I punch out in there to the safe out zone. In their country. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I can't imagine safe? the pressure of that. Yeah. Um, and all our sister services face that. Um, you know, there are uh, boomer captains out there right now under the water that are this close to doing the same thing yeah. at all times, 24 seven. And uh, if you've met any of the Submariners, it's a little different crowd. Yeah, we and, lived on yeah, a base they, up there in Washington, so. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. and you understand it. Yeah. When, you, when you read biographies like this, you understand it. Now that's, that's Grant. Um, and this history was a lot more accurate, I think, because he concentrated on the man, yeah. you see the result. Um, the, I don't know whether you recall Lincoln's reaction when they told him, well, you know, I, we think General Grant has a drinking problem. No. Uh, Lincoln, who had a great sense of humor, and he's one of my heroes, he goes, <laughs> that man wins every battle. If that's what it takes, I'm going to send him a case of whiskey. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You know, the man like for the moment. Yeah, I like what you're saying, though. I think, and my dad impressed this upon me, too, is that everybody has a story. And if we sit to understand right. their story, I think we can learn so much. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. And and, and don't don't meet somebody this way. Yeah. Yeah, on even the th digital. Even this, even this with you and me, um, we as an office went back 100% into the office last November. Okay. And we forced it. We said it'll be for six weeks. Everyone's in the office. Yeah. We canceled all leaves. We canceled all travel. We said, get your butts in the office. Okay. And it was a shock to all of us. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, we were reintroduced to the value of you and I sitting together in two cubicles. And that banter. Yeah. That's inevitable. Which went away with the, like which you said, away. remote working. Yeah. Which, which went away, you know, and, you know, two moms who are all frazzled because they had to get the kids into daycare or to the, and, and they come in and they're just like this. And now they have somebody sitting next to them who just did the same thing. Yeah. And just that support is not there this way. True. Yeah. Digitally, it really takes away from that. So. Right. These people had the same thing. Yeah. That's an like so to talk about the other two. Yeah, uh, let so me I highly recommend Chernow's 
um, Grant biography. Yeah, so that was, I'll do a recap here. That was Grant by Robert Chernow. So we'll jump into our Ron, second pair. Ron, Ron. Oh, I'm sorry. Ron Chernow. Okay, yes, you're right. Okay. Okay. Next one is uh, a, a fantastic biographer by trade, and that's David McCullough. Wrote uh, a biography about John Adams. Yeah. Now, Adams is the second president. He was Washington's vice president. Mm-hmm. And his counterpart for his entire life, and they literally died on the same day, was Thomas Jefferson. I didn't know they died on the same day. Okay. Oh, yeah. And both both of them said on their deathbed, ah, crap, the other guy's alive. <laughs> Neither one of them knew they were both dead. Okay. Um, <laughs> Thomas Jefferson's uh, house is right here. And it's interesting where they, they bring that up. Yeah. So I wanted to read the John Adams book, but I knew that Jefferson was his counterpart. So that's where the other one came from, from by Gordon Wood. Okay. And it's called Friends Divided. Okay. I'm not so sure about the title because that's John Adams and, Je- and Thomas Jefferson. And it compares the, excuse me, it compares the two. And, oh, by the way, it's reviewed on the back by, oh, Ron Turnoff. <laughs> um, they were polar opposite people polar opposites yeah. one man was came out of a Puritan ethic he was not a Puritan um, he was married to a 20th, 20th, 20th century woman believe it or not mm-hmm. Abigail Adams she would walk in a room and you'd have a lot in common with her Yeah. she vaccinated her kids in the 1700s wow she had heard if I take smallpox and I put it in the dish and I just hit it, you know, hit it with a pin and prick it into their arm a little bit, it'll vaccinate them. Wow. You talk about not frozen in fear. Yeah. Would you do that to your kids thinking? Oh, not knowing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, holy cow. And remember, this is a take it in their people of their time. They weren't jabbing their kids with MMP or any of those vaccinations were unknown. Yeah. Vaccination itself was, was unknown. unknown. Yeah. But she did it. Why? Because my kids, my children will not die of smallpox. Yeah. And they didn't. <laughs> wow. Uh, he spent, uh, because he was a politician, he spent a lot of time away from home. Sound like a Navy wife. Yeah. And, <clears throat> right. Well, by the way, God bless you for being a military spouse. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> um, you serve too. I get it. Um, but he, he spent a lot of time away from home. So Abigail is at home running a farm, making her own manure, which a lot of jokes there. But yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you do the same thing. You know, it's just different. Never mind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you, she had to keep the home fires. And back then, you know, we we worry about gender rights and equality. There was none of that. And think about Massachusetts back then. Yeah. Really, absolutely none of that. You know? Yeah. But she she plowed right through it. You know, you can't sign for your husband. Well, he's not here. Get out of the way. Yeah. So that speaks to the man, to me. Sure. Yeah, the woman they behind him. Madly, madly, madly in love. There is a book that has just heard their letters 
and they're almost shocking. It's like reading a song of Solomon and go, whoa, 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 this is in the Bible, you know? <laughs> whoa, 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 stop. Yeah. What is this? You know, get it off the shelf. You know? <laughs> um, they were madly in love with each other, which is an awesome thing. Yeah. So John Adams was very much a conservative. He was very much a quintessential politician. He was always into compromise, but boy, he when he negotiated, here are my three objectives, and I'm not giving up those objectives without blood. Wow. Snapshot, one of the people that was on the other side of that table was Thomas Jefferson. Mm-hmm. Today, Thomas Jefferson would be your liberal. Okay. He, he didn't have many or any life rules. He came from a background of, well, anything goes, you know, he came right out of my, I grew up in the 60s. You know, he, he was that 1700s yeah. hippie that, yeah, whatever, you know, live and let live kind of a guy. Sure. If you know anything about his his background, his lifestyle even spoke to that. And his colleagues, he but he was so brilliant. I mean, he was brilliant. They looked at him and said, oh, you know, we just can't, how do we tell the British to get lost? And he goes, well, I I woke up in the middle of the night last night and I wrote this thing, Declaration of Independence. Wow. Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. No. Just on a whim. <laughs> yeah, just, well, how's that? You know, you edit it if you want to. He was that guy. When these two guys got together, though, and it's a, to me, it was it's a lesson for today. And I encourage everybody out there, if you want to find out the answer to what seems to be an inconquerable divide today, read this book. Yeah. Or read the, a book called Team of Rivals, where when Lincoln put together his cabinet, he put together nobody that agreed with each other. And he did it intentionally because he said, well, between here and there, somewhere in here is the amalgam of the right answer. Yeah. We'll find it. Brilliant. Yeah. That's what these two guys were. They didn't argue about what they disagreed about. I mean, they harumphed at each other. And you know people like that. You know they don't agree with the thing you think. Yeah. So they just harumphed at each other. But when they were told to do a task, write the Constitution being one, they said, what do we agree on? And that's the principles behind which this country's founded. These two guys and about 10 others were the guys that sat there and go, well, here's the left answer. Yeah. Here's the right answer. Left, right, versus he, here's how we're going to do this. Yeah. Which is why you don't have a democracy here. They both agreed that any government that can vote itself, you know, you have the tyranny of the majority, although they ever heard that phrase. Um, sure. They knew that tyranny is bad. And if you have a tyranny of the majority, that's also bad. Yeah. So that's you know, that's why we don't do direct popular elections of the of the president. That's sure. why. Why? Because Rhode Island's looking at New York going, you're just gonna we don't exist with you. Yeah. We're a blip on the map. Right? And look today, it's very similar. You know, why do we have an electoral college? Read. Read, yeah. read why we did it this way to begin with. These two guys went. We can level the playing field by what they say mathematically. We're going to normalize everybody. 
Mm-hmm. That's what that means. Yeah. Oh. So then, okay, so in the Senate, it's based on that normalization. Sure. And in the House, we'll make it popular so the people have a voice, a direct voice. Guess who decided on that? Yeah. So when I read this, I, I read this one and it basically taught, it's not really a biography, but it is. It's about two two individuals. Um, and they, I mean, if you read the language they used in the hearings and stuff, it's they both have gift of gab, you know? <laughs> and you'd be sitting up there in the gallery going, oh, you guys are insufferable. You know, it's like, <laughs> to me, it's like watching the English parliament because that's how they, how they model themselves back then. And if you look at the English parliament, even today, it's like, oh, everything's emotional. Oh my God, you know, it's, the, <laughs> it's like, oh, come on, you know? Yeah. And they had fist, fisticuffs at times. You know? it was crazy. Sure. I mean, we eventually blew apart. Um, if you If you look at these two individuals, uh, you're looking at the seeds of the Civil War. Yeah. Jefferson had slaves. Well, oh, wait a minute. Man of his time. <laughs> yeah. He's talking all about equality and all about, you know, any old slaves. Hmm, you know. Yeah. So that triggered me to dig a little more when this book came out about Adams to go very deep into Adams. And it really goes into what he thought and why. He had a classic education um, he knew what Aristotle and Socrates said about people. Those things are still true. You know, I, I love people who say, well, you know, in today's age, and I sit there and I go, have you ever read, you know, like the Old Testament and read about David and all the stuff he, ha- he had to deal with as king? Yeah. We don't change. Yep, exactly. And I thought that as you were talking about the friends divided, I'm like, gosh, it's just amazing to think that like the same things happen over and over time. We don't change. <laughs> yeah. Human beings don't change. Men and women don't change. Viva la difference, you know. Yeah. But we, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing. You know, yeah. you're, you're, a, you balance each other. Mm-hmm. Those two balanced each other. You know, do you want a Ulysses Grant to be out there without anybody balancing them? Him? No. No. Yeah. Oh God, no. You know, we are only as strong as the ability to tear down anybody that thinks that they can just give you an executive order and change stuff. Not to bring it to today, you know. Sure. Go, you can't do that. Yeah. You, know, you and I, we don't have a big voice. We got a little voice. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, give it up. You know, it's 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 just interesting. So the key to what we deal with every single day is just we're not alone. Yeah. This is all, you know. Harry Truman said, you know, it's just the history you don't know. Nothing's new. Yeah, and he's right. Yeah. He's right. And we can uh, learn so much from that. It really yeah. makes me see a big hole actually in my reading because this is a genre I very much underexplored, but I'm fascinated listening to you talk and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to go dive into one of these books. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's um, just be careful of the authors. Um, look for people with a track record as historians. Okay. Because that means it's an academic work. Look in the back of the book first. Okay. Look back here where the bibliography is. Yeah. If it's nice and thick, that's because everything is cited. Everything Good is point. cited. 
And every anytime a historian writes a book like this, half of the PhDs out there will write theses about why they were completely full of bull. Sure. That's what keeps us all in the middle. You know? Yeah. I say black, you say white. Okay. Well, I say light gray, you say dark gray. That's how life works. Sure. You know, you and I will never agree on every single thing ever. Yeah. Nobody out there will ever agree. If you do, it's like, ooh, ooh, you know, it, yeah. it's my doppelganger. I never want to meet you, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think life would be pretty boring if we all agreed on something. Oh, yeah. All the birds sang the same song, right? Um, but it's, but, you know, when you first meet people, it's not, it's not your differences. It's, it's your commonalities. Sure. You, you, if you and I were to write down 10, and it's sometimes fun to do with friends, write down the 10 things that are the most important things to you. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, it's all the same. Yeah. Stuff like honesty. Mm-hmm. Real honesty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, outside your circle of trust, you and I don't trust people to tell you the truth. Why? We see people lying like a rug all the time. Yeah. About all kinds of stuff. Every single ad on TV. <laughs> it's like, okay, what's the catch? Well, that that's really a fluffed up phrase for, hmm, what's false about what you just told me? You know? What am I trying to find here? But if you and I are in the one-on-one exchange, you know, we are going to give each other the benefit of honesty. Sure. Now, as a mom, you know, sometimes you have to teach your kids. Sometimes you don't want to be honest. <laughs> we need some filters here. You know? Yeah. There's a time and a place, you know, but stuff like manners are important. You know, you've, you've heard manners are the, are the grease against the frictions of life. Yeah. You know, be polite, be kind, mm-hmm. listen. That's what I get out of these books, Tara. And is A, they're human. B, they had stuff they had same there they had actually at times had crushing issues crushing issues that you know i've been through some ugly times and i can remember going i i I can't i don't know whether i can get through you know and then you read this stuff and you go well i'm I'm certainly not the first one at this kind of a rubicon you know yeah so here we go yeah Yeah, which does, I feel like, give a little peace to you, right? When you know, like, I I can't be the only one that has been in this situation. And it gives you some peace of your heart of, like, someone else pushed through, and that means I can too. So. Don't be frozen in fear. Yeah. Yeah. I've gabbed for a long time. Do you have any? (laughs) Yeah, I actually have one question about the John Adams book. Uh Um is it go into the life of Abigail Adams too? Because I'm very intrigued yeah. about her. Yeah. So she's okay. Yeah, there are books about Abigail herself. Okay. But his life, you know, I get it. I have a membership badge. His life was incomplete without her. Big time. Yeah. Okay. He, that man would not be that man without her, which is that that's what you want. I mean, that's what yeah. I want. That's probably what you want. You know, it's, did they always agree? Oh, you should read her when she chewed his rear. You know, it was like, oh, and you got back to Massachusetts. There's your man over there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, they locked horns just like we do. Yeah. Um, but they never lost sight of what they had in common, which is what you'll see out of John Adams. Now he was okay. flinty. He was he was a curmudgeon, which is was the <laughs> reputation, and he proudly wore that mantle. And I can tell you with absolute honesty that I have used that technique uh, in the office I'm in right now. I'm known as the curmudgeon in the corner. And what that yeah. manages to do for me is cut through bureaucracy. Yeah. People know when I walk in their office, I don't want to hear any fluff. Yeah. The second you give me fluff, I'm turning around and walking out. Yeah. You know, I don't have time. Sure. You know, it, it's, <laughs> I don't have time. You know, it's kind of like you <clears throat> as a physical therapist, you have patients that get into it, engage with you and heal themselves. Yeah. And then you have patients that think it's your job to heal. What? Yeah. You know? My husband and I have spent many a conversation of that, of like, how do we inspire people to be like, you need to get yourself better. We can give you the tools, but like, you need to get yourself better. The, the power of team and the power of the inner strength. You know, you're in a profession that's way underrated. Yeah. You know, you can have the best surgeon in the whole world. If you don't listen to your PT, it's just going to fall back and you're not going to benefit from it. Exactly. I am a huge advocate of that, especially military PT. Well, I do have a few last questions for you. These okay. are just kind of speed round questions. You can answer them really quick. Okay. Um, where is your favorite place to read? <laughs> I have a chair. Okay. So I, I do have a reading chair with a reading lamp because I'm over the top. So that, I think it's my favorite place. Now, I asked me if I could stay awake in there. Yeah. I had a guest, uh, she's a friend of Amanda and I's actually, and I asked her and she said the hammock and I, that was my, you can stay asleep and read in the hammock. No way. Oh my yeah, there's no way. <laughs> but <laughs> she's impressive. She reads a lot. Okay. What is one book you have read that has changed your life? Uh, the book I think that's, that's changed and sustained my life is actually the Bible. Okay. Great answer. I love that. What about, are you a rereader? Yes. Because I, I tend to read very fast. Um, I am, you know, the victim of the old speed read thing. Sure. So if I go back the second time, I force myself to not do that. Okay. Yeah. And really digest it then. Yeah. That makes sense. And then last question, what are you reading next? I'm actually about three quarters of the way through uh, Rush Limbaugh's biography written by his brother, David. Okay. It's not, it's, it's weird. I, I Sally asked me, you know, is that a good book? And I went, mm, I don't know yet. Yeah. You're, You're holding out. <laughs> I said, it's just weird the way he built it. He built it like a series of video snapshots and it's simply uh, the recorded verbiage in each out of his radio show. Huh. Okay. Yes, it's given me a sense of, but, but that's that's the Rush Limbaugh I knew. Yeah. I want the one that I didn't see or hear. Yeah, that put the pieces together a little bit, right, to help you I understand. Want, I want, uh, you know, as Rommel said about Patton, which means something of the man. I need to know yeah. something of the man. So. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate your time. I know it's precious, so I appreciate what you've given me today. Well, this is this is great stuff. Readers, you know, we have to all stay educated. Reading is a passion, so. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Frank Ballinger and I in our discussion today on his Historical Biographies Book Flight. We'd love to hear what other books you might pair with this book flight at bookishflights.com. That is also where you can find more information on today's flight and any other books that we talked about today. I want to inspire a community of readers. So whenever you share a post about what you are reading or what you are picking up next, especially if you have heard about the book on the show, please tag us. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Bookish Flights. This is a brand new show, so if you enjoyed it, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give the show a review. Your review...